This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome back to the Palin Finn Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Yakas for all your fine quality kayak fishing accessories. Go to yakgadgets.com. Pelican cases, coolers, and lighters. Go to Pelican.com. And the 153 Bait Company for all your hard and soft bait needs. Go to 153Angler.com. So join with me as together we dive into the tips and techniques that will help make us better anglers out on the water. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Paddle and Fin. I get the honor of kicking off the 2022. Uh, podcast year for Paddle and Finn. So uh, the best uh, the best fishing for noobs show gets to kick everybody off. So uh, I'd like to welcome everybody back for uh, hopefully we, I know Paddle and Finn's going to have a lot of amazing things coming this year. Uh, I'm super psyched to get everything kicked off again. You know, uh, we had a nice break there uh, over the holidays, but we're back um, ready to dive into uh, tons of topics this year. And um, Last year, kind of in the fall, we asked you guys for ideas for shows. And one of the ideas that kept getting sent in was uh, talking about drop shotting, uh, specifically sometimes for uh, smallmouth bass. So, uh, you know, while I was researching that topic, I kind of uh, dove back into some of our past episodes looking at guests and stuff. I came across uh, Alex Rudd's show, and um, in in researching, I... uh, came across a familiar name and um, that was Benjamin Nowak. So um, I'd heard him on uh, Alex Rudd's show. And uh, in my research of drop shotting, I found a ton of videos he did. So um, as you guys know, I've talked about it before. Uh, drop shotting is definitely not one of my stronger techniques. I've uh, full, full honesty, I've never caught a fish on a drop shot. So uh, hopefully uh, Benjamin doesn't want to just jump off right now. But um, anyway, I'm going to bring him in because he's going to, you know, definitely spill the juice, give us all uh, a, a great bit of knowledge on this. Um, hopefully uh, help me up my game and uh, get some confidence in throwing the dop- drop shot. But uh, before we get into all that, I'd like to just bring him in. So Benjamin, welcome to the Bass Fishing for Noob show. What is going on, man? I'm, I'm excited to be on and appreciate, you know, having me in here to talk about drop shotting and whatever else we come up with. So. Yeah, dude, I'm looking over your material that, you know, this might be a reoccurring guest because you got tons of knowledge on a lot of baits, you know, especially uh, I'm, I'm, you know, right smack dab in the middle of winter fishing and, you know, it's definitely a, a slower time for me anyway, but um, uh, looking forward to, you know, maybe picking your brain in the future on other, some of those other topics too. We'll see where we get to tonight, but um, for starters, I figured I'd, you know, for the folks who haven't heard you or, uh, don't know much about you, uh, let them know who you are, where you're from, kind of how you got into fishing. And, you know, uh, I know I, you know, you've been on Red show, obviously a ton, yeah. but, uh, uh, kind of ha- a little about maybe how you got into that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm from Michigan, right. And, um, the way I met Alex, Alex and I are best friends, but we actually met on YouTube. 
So I post some videos out cranking for smallmouth and he commented on it probably five years ago now. And um, we just started talking and texting and now we're on each other's shows and on each other's channels pretty much all the time. But um, yeah, like I mentioned, I'm up here from Michigan. So we have a lot of smallmouth. We actually have really, really good largemouth fisheries as well. Um, and I'll touch on that a little bit with the drop shot too, because I think it's one of those baits that's a little bit underutilized for largemouth. Um, but really my focus is Great Lakes smallmouth, Glacial Lake smallmouth, and, and I guess even river system smallies. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a little bit about me um, and kind of what I do, where I'm from. And Okay. Yeah. You've been fishing your whole life kind of pretty much? Yeah, so... I got into fishing at a pretty young age. My, my parents and grandparents all fished, so they took me out, and we just kind of fished for anything, right? Like pretty much like a lot of people got into it, you just go out with your family and you just target whatever you can catch, whether it's bluegill, whether you catch like a catfish or a crappie, whatever it might be. And I kind of got out of it. Like I had this goal in my mind that I was going to be a professional hockey player. Now I'm five foot six, so <laughs> like it doesn't work out that way. And uh, I got back into – um, fishing at around 17 or 18 and pretty much have been going really hardcore bass fishing for about 10 to 12 years now. Okay, cool. And, um, I know, uh, Alex likes to fish from kayak from time to time. Are you mostly yeah. boat or are you kayak as well? Or um, kayak? I got into the kayak thing a little bit. I struggle, man. Going, going into a kayak is a totally different world than anything else, right? You have to adjust your presentations and adjust, you know, the things that had worked for you in the past basically down to every bit of gear right so i'm mainly a boat guy um i dabbled with kayak a little bit but it just wasn't for me like the lakes that i like to fish it doesn't really kind of fit that style i like to fish the great lakes a lot and i just don't feel comfortable in anything less than like a fiberglass or a, a tin bass boat right when you get into those that big water like that it definitely can be intimidating in a in a tiny little kayak so i definitely feel you there but um, so, uh, drop shotting, you know, what, what, when you're looking at a body of water, what makes you think this is going to be a good uh, place to drop shot? The way that I actually got introduced to it was, um, I was fishing an FLW Everstart tournament, which was what the name of it was, I don't know, eight years ago. And I was fishing with, um, Brandon Coulter, who's now a touring pro on Lake Champlain. And when you start to think about Lake Champlain, you start to think about those deep, clear bodies of water. You have a lot of smallmouth, tons of, off tons of offshore cover and just areas that fish can hang out, right? Like, so typically what I'm looking for when I'm drop shotting are isolated areas, like small patches or small areas where fish can hang and roam out in like just basically staging spots. The last thing that I want to do with the drop shot is like cast that bait out and try to search for fish with it. Because you can probably pick up some fish and you can get a couple bites, but to actually be efficient with the technique for me, it's a real target fishing bait. So the reason I bring up that experience of how I got into drop shotting or how I learned about the technique was because you start to look at these lakes and the characteristics I'm looking for are lakes that have specific targets or specific areas that fish can stage and hang out on. I'm not typically going to go on an expansive flat and just throw a drop shot and pray I get bit. Um, so I'm really using it as like a target fishing bait. Another really good application for drop shot, though, is like around very isolated pieces of cover. So that could be a grass patch. That could be a rock pile, which are pretty standard areas, um, but dock posts. And this is kind of where it's going to come into the largemouth thing, too. I actually right. like to fish around docks quite a bit with the drop shot, and this is also really effective on river systems. Um, it's like fishing really shallow cover you know, down logs, down trees, and just flipping a drop shot on there. And you're going to kind of adjust your presentation and your gear a little bit. But essentially what I'm trying to get to is it is a very target-specific bait. And so anywhere that you think to yourself, okay, there is a specific target I know fish should be on, whether it's an offshore spot, whether it's, you know, an isolated piece of cover, a drop shot can play. Interesting. Uh, that's definitely that probably is one of the reasons why I've struggled because I've kind of like, oh, you know, I, I might mark – some fish on my graph kind of hanging around the bottom and I'll be like, Oh, they're a little bit off the bottom. Maybe I'll throw a drop shot with a, a small or like a short, you know, leader and, and see what happens, you know, 
Um, so, yeah. but it's interesting. I, I wouldn't have thought about like pitching to a log, for instance, with a drop shot. Though. It's so good. Yeah. It's such an effective technique because it's one of those baits that you can really hang there. Right? It presents in a way that's different from a lot of other presentations, whether you're fishing, you know, a Ned rig or you're fishing a jig or you're fishing something that will go by that fish and end up on the bottom. A drop shot's really unique because if people don't know what a drop shot is, essentially what it does is where the ceiling. Essentially what it is, is you have your hook and then you have a weight below your hook. So it suspends that bait off the bottom. And what it does is it hangs that bait in the fish's face. And so as opposed to a lot of techniques that want to go straight to the bottom, this bait actually has, you know, a gap between the bottom and the bait. So it'll hold that bait there, presents it in a really unique way. And unlike a lot of baits on the market, it will, it will actually like stay in the middle of the water column. Stay in the target area. Yep. Like pretty much the whole time until you move it out of there, right? Exactly. Interesting. That's definitely a good point and one that I didn't really think about, you know, but that makes sense. I've heard of like drop shotting on like rock piles out deep, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. So that kind of targeting, but I never would have thought like shallow cover like that, like or dock posts specifically. Yeah, it's um, a really it's a really good way to like let's say we've all done this, right? We've all put it up to a spot and we're like, man, I know there is a fish here, whether it's a dock, whether it's you know, a down uh, let's say it's a stump in the water, right? And you flip a jig in there and you flip a Senko in there and you fish basically your confidence baits through there. Yeah, like, man, like I know there's got to be a fish there. Sometimes it comes down to just hanging that drop shot there and just dead sticking it and holding it, shaking it and just waiting for that fish to bite. And I mean, it's not 100%, right? Nothing is in fishing, but it's a really effective approach. Interesting. Definitely, uh, you know, a place for me to get started because uh, that'll definitely change up kind of my uh, target area for them specifically yeah, for sure. So um, I figured um, we could dive into everything involved. Uh, like for starters, what kind of rod do you generally use for drop shotting? Yeah. So, I mean, if we'll just break it down into like the simplest, like what is a drop shot and, and the kind of gear that I use. So we touched on it a little bit, but essentially what a drop shot is, is you have a uh, fluorocarbon or a, you can use a mono leader, but you want some sort of semi-invisible line. And your hook is going to be suspended above the weight down at the bottom. So if we start at the very end, the style of weight that I like to use are these little teardrop weights. Okay. Um, and this hook or this weight right here has a little hook on it that your line will slide through. And what it does is it clamps onto your line. Now there's a bunch of these on the market. You can probably go to your Walmart and find them. Or you can just get the, the bell sinkers that they sell there and tie it on. But essentially what you're looking for is some style of round or cylindrical or teardrop style weight that's going to be on the bottom. Exactly. Yeah. So I have a couple here too. Um, you, but you like the teardrop style? I like the teardrop. To me, it's the best um, combination of si like style, right? Because you have the ball shape, which is a literal circle. And it's great for fishing around rock. You have the cylindrical style, which is great around wood, or excuse me, great around grass, but it doesn't particularly fish well around, you know, small pieces of rock because it gets hung really bad. Right. Well, this teardrop shape sort of has the best of both worlds where it wants to come through the grass really well, but you still have that wide, wide base on it. And so it's going to come through the rock really, really effectively as well. So this is my overall like favorite style of weight. I'm going to fish it most of the time. It's going to be that teardrop style. Okay. Then I'm, Typically using like a 12 to 18 inch leader. This is going to depend on, you know, the clarity of the water you're fishing, how far you want that bait suspended. But if I'm fishing open water for smallmouth, if I'm fishing offshore rock piles or offshore pieces of cover, I'm looking around 12 to 18 inches of line in between my hook and my weight. And then the, the knot, I guess, is pretty, I guess it's pretty important. Okay, so the knot that I use is a Palomar knot. It's a really standard knot. Um, but the key is when you tie this hook on, you're going to tie it obviously before you put the weight on, you're going to tie the hook on. And when you're done tying that knot, you want to take your tag end and go back through the eye of the hook. So if you were to tie this knot and you were to finish tying on your hook, you want to take this end of the tag and go back through the top side of the hook towards the hook point. And what that's going to allow that to do is when... Your bait's presented on bottom. 
it's going to hold it upright. Your hook point is always going to be up. So if I toss a bait on here really quick, which I have sitting right here, what that's going to do is ensure that your bait and your hook point are always facing up. If you don't do this, if, if you just take your, your knot and you just tie it on regular, your hook point's going to want to roll. So you're going to end up with the hook upside down. You're going to end up with it sideways. But by inserting that tag end back through the eye of the hook, it's going to always ensure that this hook is facing upwards. Um, then I like to run a, a braid to fluorocarbon. So braid mainline to fluorocarbon leader. I typically go like eight feet. And then I have a tiny, tiny swivel here. And this is where oh, okay. it kind of differ from a lot of people. I run it to a swivel just because regardless of what people say, there is line twist on braids. So like if you drop shot a lot, a lot, this line is going to get twisted. This bait wants to spin really bad in the water. Um, you'll notice your braid will start to, you know, have a little twist to it. So I use a tiny, I believe this is a size 10 VMC swivel. Then I'm using 10 pound braid line. Um, so that's a pretty much the setup. Um, you can really adjust your, fluorocarbon size to kind of the cover you're fishing um, but typically open water i'm running eight pound test six pound test fluorocarbon line pretty light line approach to a 10 pound test braid okay um the rod that i like to use is uh, the tfo tactical elite seven foot one medium light uh, the biggest thing with the rod is you want something between about six foot ten to about seven two you don't want to go too long, gets sort of wonky, gets uncomfortable. You don't want to go too short because you want to have the ability to set the hook and get those fish moving to you. And I guess rule of thumb is the deeper you're fishing, like if you're typically fishing in deeper water, you're going to want a little bit longer rod. If you're typically fishing where you're dropping it right next to the boat or you're fishing in shallower water or in a kayak, you want to go with a little bit shorter rod. It handles a little bit better. Okay. And then the reel that I'm throwing on it is an Abu Garcia Zeta. It's a, I think this is a 30, this is a 20 size reel. Um, I, I want to go with a 20 or 30 size reel. The biggest thing is a high speed gear ratio. So when that fish bites, a lot of time with a drop shot, when that fish bites and you set the hook, if you're dropping straight next to the boat, those fish or kayak, they want to come straight up. So like as soon as you hit those fish, the first thing they want to do is follow that line and come straight up to the boat. So having a high speed gear ratio, especially with smallmouth, just kind of lets you maintain connection with them. And it helps you land a lot more fish. So that's really the setup. Um, but it's fairly simple. You don't have to get like ultra specialized. If you want a drop shot, take like a standard medium or medium light spinning rod, favorite spinning reel, 10 pound test braid to eight pound floral, and you can go out and do it. Okay. Okay. Um, do you tend to like the 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 tip of the rod like a fast tip or uh um, that... I the one that I'm using is what I would consider like a moderate fast. Okay. TFO calls it a medium light fast action. To me, it's more of like a medium moderate fast. I want something that has a little bit of bend um, because especially when those fish try to surge on me, I want that rod to kind of handle that for me. Um, but like a fast or a moderate fast, you don't want to go too slow. You don't want a rod that's going to be like super wonky and super soft because you won't get a good hook set. And you don't want a rod that's an extra fast like a broomstick because what's going to happen is those fish – they're going to have so much um, ability to throw the hook. A lot of times, especially if you're using like a heavy weight on the end, you have that weight pulling against that fish. And if that rod's too fast, you have no leverage over that fish at all. Okay. Um, speaking of weights, uh, what what's your uh, kind of go-to? I guess it probably depends yeah, on no, depth. That's, that's a good question. Um, it does depend on depth. I would say my most common size weight is three-eighths of an ounce. Like if I'm fishing around 10 foot or deeper, I'm going like three eighths of an ounce. If I'm fishing less than 10 foot, I would say like, it's going to depend on the wind too. I, I just want to maintain bottom contact, but not have a weight that's like a bowling ball. Like I don't want to drop that thing and have it like sink super fast. So you want to go with the lightest possible weight you can get away with, but main, maintain bottom contact. And so like if I'm fishing around 10 foot of water, it's going to be a toss up between a quarter ounce or a three eighths of an ounce, depending on what I can use to get away with actually maintaining bottom contact. 
kind of the thought on that is the lighter weight you use, like if you downsize the weight, your bait's going to have a lot more action, right? So your bait's going to actually be a lot more lifelike. You're going to get more bites. But if you're not maintaining bottom contact, a lot of times your bait's kind of having a ton of movement down there because you're coming up off bottom and it's just making your bait act maybe not the way it's supposed to down there in front of those fish. So just use a weight where you can maintain bottom contact and that's going to be like the key for you. Right. Okay. And that, like uh, some of the, I fit, I live about 15 minutes from the Susquehanna river. So I fish a lot oh, of yeah. current. And um, I was thinking about this kind of before uh, we got on about how the drop shot works in current. Cause uh, you know, a lot of times I, I picture it as like you said, dropping kind of straight down on them. Yeah. And uh, in current that doesn't always, isn't always the easiest way or isn't an easy way to fish. Because current it's is gonna... super interesting, especially with a drop shot, right? Because you have so much ability for that bait to move naturally down the down the river. Um, so a lot of times when you're fishing in super heavy current, especially out of a stationary position, right? Like if you're on the bank or you're maybe, let's say you're anchored off in your kayak, right? Mm-hmm. But there's enough current where your bait can naturally move down a river. You want to have that bait match the current speed. So like take a weight that will have movement along with the same pace as the current. A lot okay. of guys do, do this on the St. Lawrence. That's why drop shot weight is so key out there. But super high speed current positions, you don't want a weight that's literally getting snagged in every single thing it hits. A lot of guys think to themselves, man, I want it to get down super fast. Well, if it gets down super fast, you're now hitting and you're dredging the bottom. You're hanging up your weight a lot. Your bait looks weird because it's not moving the same speed as the bait fish that are coming down the stream, right? Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't match what these fish are now like are normally seeing in their ecosystem. So use a weight that allows your bait to naturally move along the bottom while still maintaining contact. Um, and then inversely, you don't want to go too light of a weight, right? Like you want to be contacting bottom. You don't want it washing down uh, down the down the river. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's it's like, it sounds super hard, but like, if you take the time to just understand, like, I just want to barely touch bottom. Like I want to be able to feel bottom, but I don't want it to be like. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, MidwayUSA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Dredging bottom. Then you're pretty much good. Are you a, a tungsten guy or not? No. It doesn't matter. Okay. I'm not at all just because I go through, like, so many drop shot weights. <laughs> Tungsten's so expensive. I guess if I'm fishing like a sand bottom, an area where I'm like, I specifically need to know where it transitions sand to, to gravel. Like maybe that makes a difference to guys. And if I'm fishing on like a super big tournament trail where like maybe I need to know this is my sweet spot, like in this exact spot, it makes a difference, but not for me. Okay. And I know um, uh, some of the weights have that weird little clip at the top. Um yeah that you kind of just put your line through and pull it so that if it does get stuck, you only lose the weight. Yep. Um, I don't know if I'm super fond of it. I use those, but what I do is I take, it's going to be really hard to show you guys. Let me see if I can make you big again. What I do is I take and I tie a tiny, tiny knot. It's literally an overhand knot in my line. Gotcha. So then when I put my line through the weight, you go through that bigger section where it kind of bows out. Run it around the line. Yep. I figured you were going to slide it up. It 
wants to have a little bit more grab. If you don't tie that knot in there, you'll lose so many weights. You'll you'll go insane every single time that you go out and you catch a fish. You'll see your weight sling like eighty feet, and you're like, oh, there goes another one. <laughs> but this keeps it on pretty good. Just a tiny overhand knot. And, yeah, uh, that's a good idea. I mean, I there's a lot of times where I'll tie mine anyway, just mm-hmm. even through that hole. And uh, but yeah. that that's an easy way to do it. Just tie the little loop, run it through and around, and bam, you're. And it's yeah, removable at that point, so you could change weights if you needed to. Exactly. And the other thing is, like, if you're going heavy weight, if you're going, like, half ounce or bigger, like, let's say you're dropping out in Erie or Ontario or Huron where you're in big waves, you have to tie that thing on. Like, that little knot isn't doing anything because you're losing weights all day every time you catch fish. Like, there's so much leverage, or, or I guess not leverage, but, like, there's so much pressure on that knot, like, it's gone anyways. So you, you straight tie it on and just kind of crimp it a little bit, and so it opens up into almost – oblong circle just tie it on okay and um another thing that i was curious about that the little tiny swivel at the top you just basically run then that your 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 floor carbon is basically from your pretty close to your rod tip I would yeah it's it's literally about a six to eight foot liter of fluorocarbon i mean it's maybe two inches from the top gotcha it's a struggle like if someone picks up my rod and they don't know that they're there's a swivel on there it'll take them a while to get used to it. But by the time you get used to it, like they want to crank it up through the eyelets. Yeah. 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 I think there's an advantage, but I mean, if you're fishing like ultra clear water, we have some really, really clear water in Northern Michigan, like 20, 30 foot visibility or super pressured bodies of water. I think it matters having a super long leader. Maybe that's when you go to your standard setup. But for me, like normal clarity waters, if they don't see like the braid, the 150 foot of braid that's out there, they're not going to notice that, you know, extra three foot that I don't have on there. So that's kind of my philosophy on it. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, let me think uh, some other. We want to talk about baits real quick. Yeah, let's um, do it. I keep it pretty simple. Like I don't like to get too crazy. We can dive into colors a little bit, but there's two baits that I really, really like to throw. The first one, obviously, is the the Maxent Flatworm. Um, this is so well known by pretty much everyone in the drop shot community but it's a really normal shape okay so it has your standard like drop shot style shape where okay. you have like a pretty bulbous body and then it tapers down you have a tapering section that comes out to a tail it's got a flat bottom so when you rig this bait and you rig it flat side down it's going to have a pretty natural movement and it's basically neutrally buoyant so it stands straight out off your hook um, but the key to this thing is the scent in this bait. And when you're fishing around smallmouth, I would argue the scent, uh, other than vi- un- other than like visually them being able to see the bait, scent is like the number one factor. And that's what separates a lot of drop shot baits, the max scent from a lot of drop shot baits, is because of that additional scent. Um, but the other one that kind of gets overlooked from Berkeley is the hitworm. And I would argue to me, this is actually a better drop shot bait than the flatworm, it just doesn't get the love because it's not intended as necessarily a drop shot bait. Okay. It's a little bit larger profile. Um, I tend to bite it down maybe about a half an inch. So it's about four inches long in total by the time I bite it down. Um, but it's totally round. It's more of a shaky head style bait. So it has a lot of movement. Um, it tapers down a lot more. You have a round bulbous tail. So it has a lot of movement in it's a little bit different shape than what a lot of guys are throwing. But again, it's a Maxent um, technology, so it's super, super smelly. Maybe not to us, but when it's down underwater, there's this giant dispersion cloud. And that's what I'm looking for is a bait that smells terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that fish can really key in on. Okay. Now that, and uh, how about buoyancy? Is that, I know some baits are obviously like, you know, Z Man yeah. floats a ton, some baits don't float as much. I don't really focus on buoyancy a ton. Like I'm not going to use a super heavily salted bait. Like I wouldn't want to use like a five inch Senko, but I know guys that smash on like a three inch or four inch Senko. Um, and a lot of times they'll rub a lot of that salt out. Um, I think because of the way that it is set up where you can adjust the buoyancy of the actual rig by the tightness or tension on the line, like it doesn't necessarily matter as much. Um, but if you're going to be dead sticking a bait, having a bait that's neutrally buoyant or buoyant is going to make that bait stand straight out off your rod or it's going to give it, you know, a nose down 
um, look in the water. And I don't think either one's bad. You just don't want a bait that's when you're dead sticking and slack line going to sink to the bottom. It, it really defeats the purpose. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, speaking of dead sticking and stuff, that kind of made me think about uh, the different ways that you work it, whether you know, uh, you're, when you're, whether you're, you know, hopping it a little bit or what, how much action are you imparting generally, or obviously, or it might vary. Yeah. So I kind of talked about, you know, specifically target fishing. And so if we break down like the way I'm fishing it, I'm typically going to use this bait in areas that I know specifically are fish. Now, don't get me wrong. That could be a boulder field. And so there could be maybe a 50 by 50 area where there's fish. And in that case, I'm going to be making pitches out away from the boat and like just slowly working it back to me. Now, a lot of times when you're on the water, people don't recognize this, but there's movement, right? There's obviously movement when you're on the water. I don't typically impart a ton of action. Like I'm not shaking my rod really hard. It's more or less just a slight pull and maybe just barely shaking the rod tip. Like it's, it's not much. There's so much movement with that bait underwater, you know, dancing. Um, so it's just basically a slow pull. The other thing that I'm going to do with this thing is dead stick. So if I know there's a specific piece of cover, if I know there's a boulder, or if I see one on the graph, I'm going to drop that bait down. I'm just going to hold it there and like literally like just hold it there. It's going to be drop down and just wait and just wait and just wait. Even to the point that there might be a little bow on my line, some slack. I'm just going to essentially feel for that, the weight on the line. It's not so much typically like a really ferocious bite on a drop shot. You can have them try and take it from you when there's a bunch of fish there. But like for the most part, it's just weight. It's just like you go to lift up on that bait and it's maybe just a little mushy or maybe just feels a little heavy where it shouldn't. And then hook set's really simple too. Just typically a straight lift up. Like I'm literally just taking that rod tip and lifting it up and letting there get tension in the line. But I'm not hitting them like a jig. You do that and a lot of times you're going to pull hooks you're gonna break off and so it's a really really simple hook set i mean like literally anyone can fish it it's an awesome technique okay um that that takes me to another thing i was going to ask you about is the hooks themselves i've most of the time a lot of times when you talk about uh drop shotting you're hearing about like mosquito hooks or really really light wire hooks yeah um is that generally what you do i i know i have a bunch here that are are different weights and you know so I'm just going with really finesse style hooks. So um, I, I like these Nico style hooks where you have a little bit longer shank on it. Um, and then it's an offset hook. So when I talk about offset, I can show you guys this. What that means is that hook point is not necessarily in line with, with the um, shank of the hook. What right. that does is it allows that bait when that fish gets it to kind of have more bite off to the side. So it's, to me, it's the best kind of hook to use. It keeps those fish pinned really well. Owner mosquito is a really good hook because you have that offset as well. And it keeps those fish pinned a little bit better. Um, so the one that's on here, this is an owner sniper hook. I tied a little bait keeper on there if I want to thread that bait on. So I tied that myself. Um, this is owner sniper hook. VMC Nico finesse hook is really, really good. Um, owner sniper hook's really good. But the one thing that I'm, I shouldn't probably say this, but the one thing I'm not a super huge fan of is like the standard drop shot style hook. Like, I don't, I don't have one here, but it's like a standard drop shot style that's almost like a J hook. Whoops. Like yep. that. Yeah. And it's, this is not an offset because I just looked at it to see. But, yeah. Uh, but essentially what it does is it puts the hook point almost in line with where your line tie is. So what happens a lot of times is you just don't have the gap that you do on those standard, like almost straight shank style hooks like the mosquito hook. And so you don't get as good a bite. Um, however, when they are hooked, they don't typically come off. So it's sort of, for me, that's that straight shank style offset hook is really, really the way to go. Um, there's a lot of great hooks on the market. Okay. Okay. Um, another thing that, um, uh, and initially I, I think we had, I'm trying to think of, we had one other guest that talked about drop shotting a little bit. It might've been Jimmy Skinner, Skinner, one of our other co-hosts. Um, but I remember talking to him about, 
um, and, and I didn't think about it until I talked to him about when you cast this out, if you're casting any length of distance from you, when it hits the bottom, the angle yeah. between you and the line is going to really basically negate the length of your leader. So it's yeah. something that, I, and I didn't even think about that, but I'm like, that totally makes sense. So that's super interesting point too, right? Because like, that's another factor you have to take into consideration. So not only do you have to take into consideration how long like your leader really truly is. Like if you're dropping that bait straight down, that is the only time that it's actually 18 inches off the bottom. Like unless you're dropping it straight down next to the boat, that is the only time you're getting the full length of that leader. If you're casting that bait away from you and you go back to like 10th grade geometry, that <laughs> thing is actually coming at like what, six, six inches off the bottom and 18 inch leader. So like the further away that bait gets from you, the more at an angle it is, the closer it's going to be to bottom, regardless of the way you look at it. And it's something that I think is overlooked a little bit, but at the same time you can use it to your advantage and say, okay, Maybe I want that bait a little bit higher off bottom. I know those fish are away from the boat. Or my buddy Kobe, when I was fishing with him a long time ago, he would take and put that thing like three or four inches off bottom. And especially when you're fishing around gobies, where maybe it's really, really tight to bottom, just kind of coming up off bottom occasionally, he would crush me on that thing. And I'd be like, <laughs> man, that looks so dumb. Like you have like a six to eight inch leader, like it's like this long. <laughs> and, but he smashed them. So you kind of have to play with it, um, but it's definitely something to think about too is how far do you really want that bait? You want it way up off bottom? Are you dropping next to the boat? Maybe those fish are just off bottom suspended looking at gobies. So just keep it in mind that further away from the boat, closer it's going to be to the bottom um, and kind of adjust it based on where you think those fish are in the water column. And I think especially for largemouth, okay, so this is a – I mentioned it a little bit on and off. This is a phenomenal largemouth bait, especially in the post-spawn. And for me, what I like to do is target those first pieces of grass off of spawning flats or off of, you know, those pre-spawn areas. And I'm looking for those healthy, healthy, early summer grass patches. And what I like to do is go with a really long leader because those fish in the post-spawn are feeding on bluegill. They're feeding on the small young of the year bait fish that tend to be way up in the water column. So you can go to a 24, 36 inch leader, which seems really long, it casts really awkward. But when that bait's super high off bottom, those fish don't feel as pressured by it because not a lot of guys are doing it and it pre presents that bait in a way that looks supernatural. Um, and it just straight out catches them. Like it's a great technique that I think it's overlooked, especially um, for largemouth. And it's kind of, I would think in that situation, if you're looking for that grass, it kind of would sit above the grass. So the weight itself is down in the grass, kind of yeah. you know, plowing along through, but the, the bait is hanging out above that, like, you know, uh, small bait fish kind of just shooting across the top of the grass. Yeah, the other thing you can do, and this is why this is actually why I tied these bait keepers on here. The BMC Nico Finesse Hook has a bait keeper on it. But you can rig this bait weedless, and what you're going to do is standard to your typical texas rig or like let's say you're flipping a big weight you're going to rig that bait texas style you're going to go in just a little bit you're going to turn that bait around and you can actually rig this bait oops it's a little bit easier when i'm standing up i apologize <laughs> you can rig this bait almost texas rigged and so the hook is basically buried just barely under the surface there of that worm and so when you set the hook you'll still get a good hookup percentage on those fish um but it fishes really effectively through the grass and around cover you're okay. going to notice a lot of guys do this especially around wood um or around grass it's a big thing on like lake lanier or those lakes down south but it's a really effective way anytime those fish are in and around cover to be able to fish a unique presentation in those situations that definitely makes sense. And yeah, it, it's going to be different than, you know, all the people who, you know, come in front of you either cranking or, you yeah. know, it's going to be something that doesn't necessarily just run away from them. It's going to just kind of be sitting there in their face, you know, either annoying them or, you know, you know, you said For if sure. something smacks you in the face long enough, eventually you're going to either, you know, try and make it go away or you're going to, you know, <laughs> chomp it. So. Either way, you're, you're getting some action. So that's definitely, you know, uh, I think a, a good, you know, 
when you know in a heavily pressured area it makes a lot of sense to to give them a little bit different look like that so the other thing too is thinking about like the the hook size um you hear about these pros fishing these tiny tiny like mini style hooks like a size two drop shot style hook which is really 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 small um in under super pressured situations where these fish are really really finicky i think you have to downsize but the rule of thumb is like the more action you want your bait to have the smaller hook you want to use on it um but if you're texas rigging that hook like going up to a one out or two uh straight straight shank style hook um is really really effective or if you're going to thread this bait on like if you're going through a ton of baits nose hooked if you're going to thread this bait on you might want to go to those baits or those a little bit bigger one or two out style um, straight shank hooks because it's going to set that hook further back in the body of the bait so kind of we'll talk about rigging methods of of baits um too because i think this is kind of unique or kind of interesting my number one way that I'm going to rig this is nose hooking it. So the way a lot of people like to nose hook is literally almost like they're wacky rigging a bait. They'll go all the way through that bait, right? So they'll just go straight through. The problem that I've noticed that I have with this is that your bait has totally free action to swing around this hook. So what will happen is either this little chunk of plastic is going to get balled up on the end of the hook like that right there. And you're going to okay. miss fish or this bait is going to get spun around and you're going to end up with your worm tangled around that hook. So instead of doing that, instead of just going straight through the worm, when I nose hook, I go in the bottom of the bait. I wish I could show this. I go in the bottom of the bait and then out the nose. Okay. So it's still nose hooked, right? Like it's still coming out the nose of that bait. You still have a ton of action, but it can't rotate on the hook. Gotcha. So if I'm fishing open water situations, this is the number one way I'm going to fish this thing. You get the most action out of your bait. You're going to lose a lot of baits, um, but I think that's going to happen regardless. You're fishing really soft plastic, and right. so that's going to happen. The other way is that threaded way that I just talked about where you literally thread it straight on the hook point. Um, and so if you want a bait to last a long time, that's going to be your best option, and then the Texas rig. But for me, just – nose hooking that thing going through the bottom and coming right out the nose of that bait is going to be my number one way that i'm rigging a drop shot bait and that's interesting because you know i i've heard that you know nose hooking on a drop shot but i i imagine a lot of people make that that mistake and and actually come out the top of the worm like that and it makes Which a lot of sense i don't think it's bad right like people are going to do it they're going to have a lot of success but that one time that they come back and that bait's balled up after getting a fish to bite they're gonna be like oh man like how do i how do i prevent this from happening and i don't know if it was brandon polinock or aaron martins or who it was but someone was like just go in the bottom of the bait and come out the physical nose of it and then it's fixing that bait out i mean just you can't turn it entirely around and so it can't get hung that makes a lot of sense and you know just start off doing it that way and then you know you know every time it's going to come back the way it's supposed to so yeah. Or if it comes back. Yeah, if it comes <laughs> back. Hopefully it doesn't. Um, okay. Uh, I'm trying to think of um, some of the other th questions I had. Um, uh, I'm drawing a blank, but I know we talked about a lot of the baits that I had um, have that bulbous tail. Um, this is the – I have the biospawn that has that bulbous yep. tail. Um uh, a lot of them do have that flat edge and that that flat edge always goes down pretty much yeah for the most part for me that flat edge goes down um i would say when you're looking at drop shot worms i mean the two that i showed are max scent right which i'm, I'm partnered with berkeley so obviously i'm a little bit partial to it but there's so many really good shapes you just want something especially for smallmouth that maybe is a little bit smaller body profile i would say between three to four and a half inches in length um but don't be afraid to go bigger. Like, don't be afraid to go to a Zoom Z2, which is like a, a pretty big body bait. And it's super, super popular for drop shotting. It's it's a large, it's not Zoom, I'm sorry. Z-Man Z2, uh, Strike King Z2, the Z-Man Streaks. Um, it's basically a fluke style bait that has a really big body profile. And so if you're fishing around shad or you're fishing around LY feeders, that big style bait will catch a lot of fish. You just have to adapt your hook and your setup to kind of match the size of the bait. 
so get creative. Like there's so many different baits on the market. Um, the Jackal um, crosstail shad, like there's just a lot of really good baits on the market. You don't have to limit yourself to the max scent. I'm just a huge believer in scent. And so sense. for me, it's like, it's, that's my go-to is like, I just believe in scent. So if I'm fishing a bait, especially if I'm putting it in front of a fish for a long time, it's going to be a scented style bait. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm a big fan of uh, the power, our power scented Senkos. I use those yes. when I wacky rig just for that exact. I'm like, Hey, if it stinks on top of being awesome, <laughs> when it's floating down, it's just more attraction than I'm going to get. So that's exactly it too. Right. It's not necessarily even like, does scent matter hundred percent of the time? I, I don't really think it does. Like there are times and I can promise you, you can throw out a bait that's unscented and you're going to get bit because the fish is hungry. But if you're trying to increase the number of fish you catch or maybe give yourself a little bit extra advantage, scent never hurts. It, it's just another incentive, you know, excuse the pun, but another incentive for those fish to actually bite the bait. So yeah. And kinda... if you can increase your odds with, you know, kind of the same action that you're getting i think that's it's a no-brainer almost so what about you like what color what color baits what's your color theory because for me like i'm very much one or two color style bait guy almost everything i have is some kind of green pumpkin whoops i'm gonna get over here yep. um i do have like one or two that are this uh kind of shed or a uh, uh, minnow or shiner kind of style um, but most of mine, all of the other four that I have are all these kind of, this one's a little more transparent. This one's more of a kind of a whitish green, but yep. uh, most of mine are green pumpkin or, or some kind of. Yeah. I'm know, pretty much of the same mentality, right? Like most of the time it's going to be a green pumpkin based style color with the exception of like this brown back, but that's still a very opaque style bait. Like it's, it's, it's not translucent. It's not see-through. And most of the time, that's what I'm going to be going to as well as those um, baits that match the forage as best as I can. Is there a time when you'll put away the drop shot, like in heavily stained water or, you know, you know, is that, I, it yeah. seems like a visual kind of bait. So it's a super visual presentation. So anytime the water gets off colored relative to normal water clarity. So if I'm fishing like stained water that is always stained, I'm not afraid to throw a drop shot. Those fish are so in tune with that style of water. But if I'm fishing, let's say I'm fishing a body of water that has three foot normal visibility. And now it's a foot and a half or it's six inch visibility. A drop shot's not going to be a technique that I have a lot of confidence in because those fish need to know that it's there and they need to know that that bait is in their presence. And I don't feel like a drop shot's effective. Like there's no, typically no sound or limited sound, and it's just not a great bait to draw fish to that thing from long ways, unless you're in really clear water situations. Right, and I, I think, I mean, that's a lot of times when you hear drop shot used the most, because it yeah. it really gets you away from the weight. Um, all they're seeing, you know, is this something in the middle of the water column, you know, moving around, and they're, you know, it, it, it's a supernatural kind of presentation that you know, it's not going to make them question. And they got a, you know, a good long look at it sometimes when it's sitting there right in front of their face. So in that point, you know, you do want to have a more natural looking bait, maybe colors, sure. um, not not the crazy flashy, you know, kind of crankbaits or jerkbaits that you might see. So At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At the same point, like let's say you're fishing a river that has stain to it. Let's say you're fishing in a river that has natural stain. Maybe you have a foot and a half visibility normal. 
and you have a lot of smallmouth or largemouth mix, you can actually change your line size to match what you're fishing. So you could put this bait and put it on 10 pound test fluorocarbon or 12 pound test fluorocarbon as your leader, because all that's going to do is improve, improve your hook to land ratio. If you can get away with it, I obviously think the lighter line is going to improve, you know, the action of the bait and then clear water, it's going to help catch them. But if you're in dirty water situation, don't be afraid to upsize your line. Don't be afraid to upsize the bait. Don't be afraid to change your change your gear entirely and maybe throw it on a light bait casting setup and fish it around straight 10 pound test fluorocarbon, 12 pound fluoro and fish it around grass. There's so many ways that you can actually adapt the drop shot to your fishing style or the areas that you fish that I think it goes overlooked as like a, a super finesse style technique. And it can be, but at the same time, it can be a really effective power fishing technique that goes overlooked. And I think that's like a couple of years ago, Tokyo rig was all the, all the rage, right? Mm-hmm. Which essentially was a piece of metal with your hook suspended above it and a weight below it. Short, short drop shot that guys were punching through. Well, I talked to a guy, Nick, the informative fisherman on YouTube. Yep. One of the baits that he fished, on the delta quite a bit was a similar style bait you'd fish braid to his hook and then from the braid it would go down to his weight and he would flip that and he'd punch it well you can really take this and adapt it to anything you're fishing like don't get stuck in this box that a drop shot has to be a super finesse technique there's so many ways you can use this and so use the concept to fit your style of fishing and just understand why you know, having a bait suspended above the weight is, is effective. So obviously we're talking smallmouth and typically that's light line spinning rods and smaller baits, but there's a lot of ways you can use this thing. That's really cool. It's interesting. You say that um, right before the show, I was kind of going through my YouTube playlist. Uh, and one of the things was Chad Hoover talking about it. the title of the video was the world's best bait or something like that. And he was talking about the Senko and he was saying, you know, I've caught my deepest fish ever on a Senko that was whack, wacky rigged on a drop shot. <laughs> and I was like, interesting, you know, I know, you know, wacky rigged on a drop shot. That sounds really weird, but he said he was fishing in 40 feet of water and wanted to get it down there, but also still utilize the action of a wacky rig. And so, I mean, yeah, yeah. dude, I, I mean, I forgot to talk about it. Wacky rigging a bait on a drop shot. It's really, really, really effective. Seth fighter one on the lax a couple of years ago, taking a four inch Senko white Senko drop shotting at wacky rigged. And the benefit of it, you still get the action of a wacky rig, but the only difference is that bait can now suspend consistently and be fished deeper. And so you're still getting both those side tail arms thing moving, um, but it's just such a versatile technique. I mean, any way that you can rig a bait, you can rig it on a drop shot. And it sounds dumb, but I mean, there's so many bait applications. You could even take, for example, and this is a really popular bait to throw on a drop shot, especially around current situations, is a small swim bait. Now, this is on a jig head, obviously, but imagine it's not. You can take a swim bait and rig it on your drop shot. What it's going to do in current is when that bait is coming through the water, this tail is going to have movement. It's going to look like a little swimming minnow. So by taking and adapting your presentations, you can get different actions, and you can have a small bait fish style profile swimming through the water in current situations. And um, it's just a really versatile approach and versatile technique. If you allow yourself to kind of think outside the box. Right. Don't be afraid to mix it up and and experiment, you know? Yeah. Worst cases are going to find the new perfect lore for your area body and, you know, crush everybody. And they'll be like, what the heck is that guy using? Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, um, we are um, kind of closing in on our hour mark. So uh, I, that was a ton of great information. You know, uh, it definitely, you know, gives me a little bit more confidence to go out and give it a try. Uh, I have to break out my rod. I think I'm going to hit the water tomorrow uh, or on Friday. Right. Rather, I, I'm off on Friday. So I just heard uh, a buddy of mine was asking me to go out on the river with him. So That'd be I think awesome. I might uh, take a drop shot with me and see if I can break that curse and finally catch one on it. So. <laughs> Do it for sure. The other cool thing, man, is like, I don't know where you live. We have a lot of crawfish eaters, especially in our river systems. And a, a really unique way to fish this bait is really close to the bottom, short leader presentation. 
and rocky situations with crawfish style baits on the back. So I don't know. I, when I think of Susquehanna, I, I remember some YouTube videos where guys were talking about TRD craws on the back of a net rig. And, and yep. it's, man, give it a shot. Hopefully you catch some fish on it. I'm going to give that a try. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, uh, I figured uh, I wanted to give you a chance to shout out sponsors. I know you mentioned Berkeley. Um, I, it was funny, uh, maybe a month and a half ago, uh, I stumbled across the guy who invented the ghillie. Yeah. Uh, he he actually came on the show. I was actually trying to get, he had the same name as another, uh, uh, another angler. And I accidentally, I messaged him. I was like, hey, you know, I saw this article <laughs> that you wrote. And he's like, well, that wasn't me, but I'm, I am involved in fishing. And then lo and behold, he's the dude who invented the ghillie. So, or uh, developed crazy. the ghillie. So, um, so uh, I've had, I, he was on the show, but um, yeah, you know, this, I've had a ton of luck with Berkeley baits in general. And, you know, he actually hooked me up with some ghillies and I uh, haven't got to try them yet, but uh, I'm super psyched to get out there and throw those. So that's, that's one of those baits that I want to learn this year. I think it's, you know, there's a lot of question marks behind the ghillie, right? I mean, it's there's some Japanese baits that it got inspiration from and they brought it over to the United States and made it. But it's one of those baits that's super unique. You start to talk about match the hatch and, and I think it's a bait that I've got in my hand a little bit, but I've never really put it in the water and fished it to its potential. So that's one of those baits I want to learn in 22. But um, no, man, I just appreciate you having me on. Uh, obviously, Berkeley's a, a big um, partner of mine, Abu Garcia. Temple Fork Rods, they're a company that I've worked with for a few years now, and they're a really, really premium rod company. Um, and then Do It Molds. And those are the three companies that really backed me for, for a while. Um, and so just huge shout out to them. Um, but if you're in the market for, you know, scented baits, Max Scent is really the deal. Like not just, it's not like a gimmick. Guys don't talk about it just because they're sponsored. Like Max Scent is really, really good, whether you're smallmouth fishing or largemouth fishing. And I just encourage people to try it if they haven't. Um, and you mentioned do it molds. You mold or do your own molds for yep. certain things? Yeah. Yeah. So I make all my drop shot weights. Um, pour my own jigs. So like, here's a jig that I made right here. Awesome. Um, swim bait heads. I poured this little screw head swim bait right here. Um, it's just one of those things that keeps me busy during the winter. Like we get froze over. So a lot of my winter is spent pouring baits, tying jigs, pouring drop shot weights. And so it keeps me busy and it's, uh, I get to really customize things. So dive into and put exact hooks and make things to exact specification, which is really cool. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and how about social media? Where can folks find you? I know you have a bunch of stuff out there. So, yeah. So I have, uh, my biggest one's YouTube. Uh, it's just Benjamin Nowak fishing or just Benjamin Nowak and you'll find me. Um, and then I have Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, but if you guys want to know anything else, like you have any questions about drop shotting or you want to just get a hold of me and talk fishing, like I'm available on any of those social platforms, BR Nowak underscore fishing on Instagram and Facebook and then Benjamin Nowak. Um, on YouTube, but I'm pretty open. I pretty much respond to everyone. So if you have any questions, just feel free to hit me up and, uh, man, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you having me on and, and chatting fishing. No problem, man. It was a pleasure. And, uh, like I said, I'm definitely gonna have to have you back on sometime and pick your brain about some of those other topics. So That'd be awesome. Yeah. You know, I can tell, tell, you know, you, you and Alex both have that, uh, that teacher aspect where you're really good at explaining things. So um, thanks, man. I just love fishing. Like what it boils down to at the end of the day, like if none of this existed, it would just, I'd still be going out fishing. And so I kind of came into the sport. Um, Ike and Ellie had city limits fishing when I was 17 and I didn't even know what a bass boat was until then. So I came into the sport, not really knowing like much about bass fishing in general, just, came in pretty much green and started learning stuff on bassmaster.com and through the magazine. And over the past 10 years, now we've had the advent of YouTube and I get the opportunity to share it a little bit. So if I can help someone catch more fish, like that's really what it boils down to for me. And I enjoy doing. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, you literally, you know, I think a lot of the people who listen to the show are the same way. They, you know, literally got hooked, you know, you, know, yeah. you catch that first fish and, you know, it, it's all over with, you know, it's, you know, what you eat, sleep and breathe, you know, so. That's right too, dude. I mean, at the end of the day, we all just like to fish and catch fish. And so, I mean, if any way that we can give ourselves a little more advantage, we, we like to do it. So on the same way. Awesome, dude. Well, 
thank you again so much for coming on. It was definitely a pleasure having you. Uh, tons of great information and um, look forward to having you on again. So. Thank you so much, man. All right, guys. Um, thanks for tuning in. Hope uh, Here's to a great 2022. And uh, this has been the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment on the Paddle and Fin Podcast, where we bring you the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip more lips. Have a good night, guys. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle and Fin. Don't forget to go check out our website at paddle, the letter N, and fin.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Fin. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N, and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Fin on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler, the Angler Button and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout out to Rocktown Adventures, located in Northern Illinois, for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment.